And now, a Blaze Media podcast. Man stands with America. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Hello, America. Thank you so much for tuning in today. This, of course, is the show where you come for the accent and you stay for the principles. I hope you're having a wonderful week. I'm a bit excited this week. Um, this week, if you don't know, is Masters Week, and I'm recording this show, and Tiger Woods has made his comeback. and I'm just a bit giddy and I'm a bit excited and the reason I'm giddy and excited about the Masters this year in golf and you know just a few sports is because quite honestly I, I'm guessing I'm like many of you. I need a distraction. I badly, badly need a distraction because if I look around at what's going on around the world and in America, I, I kind of get down. I get so frustrated and I want to talk to you about a lot of stories today, and I'm going to join a few dots. And I want to start by saying something that many of you know, but if you're a new listener, you might not know. When I'm critical, I'm not one of these people who says, you know, I'm just going to start throwing people under the bus and start just giving out and being narky. The reason I get frustrated with people, and specifically I'm talking about to my friends on the right, is because I see the pain that's happening right now. And I know what's coming. And bad times are coming. And I see either a complete and utter lack of awareness and ignorance. Or they do know and they just don't care. And there is no fight. And I say this out of love, not because I like politicians or because I like people in the media that I work with. I say this because... I like the American people. You're good people. And quite honestly, you deserve better. Because to start today's show off, I'm going to do something I try and avoid. I'm going to talk politics. You know, politics is funny. Because I tend to look at things different to a lot of other people. Because I work behind the scenes with candidates and people and groups. And I'm the guy who will sort of go, you'll come to me and say, hey, this is what I want to say. And this is the policy I want to say. And then I'll kind of say, well, let's, you know, say it this way. And let's share the story and, and, you know, kind of give you the narrative, shall we say, of how you can, you know, give yourself the best possible opportunity to sell your policy or proposal. By the way, I only sell policies and proposals that are constitutional. Just a side point. But I'm the guy who will tell you the story. I'll, I'll kind of link it to a story in history. And hey, you might want to talk about this or talk about this. Sometimes it's listened to, sometimes it's ignored. But that's my advice. So I look at things when I see things going on in your country. And I'm going to go, what was the thinking behind that? Why on God's green earth would you decide to do this? What am I talking about right, right now? Your current president, 
This is not opinion. This is pretty much accepted fact. What I'm about to say. And there's no malice in these words. Your president, whether you love him or hate him, clearly has mentally cognitive issues. Whether you like him or hate him and agree or disagree with all of his policies, he clearly is not charismatic. He doesn't, you know, you don't, Joe Biden doesn't walk into a room and light it up. Oh my God, I got to meet Joe Biden. That's not something anyone has ever said. Unless it's said in the, the sarcasm of, oh dear God, I just met Joe Biden and I had that experience. Poll after poll, not by the right, but by the left, like Quinnipiac poll, CBS poll, has Biden under 40% approval rating. It's clear this president is not popular. So what do the people in the White House do? The people who are advising him, you know what we need right now? What's that? We need to make Joe Biden more popular. Okay, how do you do that? How about this? We bring Barack Hussein Obama back to the White House. And that's what they did this week. Why on God's green earth would you do this? Like, what is the best possible outcome here? Like, Barack Obama, would you hate him or not? And I know many people who do hate him because he was a really radical president. He was radical until Joe Biden became president. But the guy at least had some level of charisma. You know, there was reasons to get excited about him. There was reasons to get excited about him in 2008. If you didn't delve deep into his records, if you didn't delve deep into what he was saying, if you just got caught up in the, oh my God, it's a historic first black president. Oh my God, you know, hope and change. And oh, yes, we can. There was reasons to get, you know, kind of swept up in those waves of emotions. But you bring him in and bring him beside Joe Biden. Joe Biden, this week, they started talking about the Affordable Care Act, known as Obamacare. This was a disaster. Anyone who thought this was a good idea is an idiot. And yes, I am calling you an idiot. And I mean every letter in that word. Idiots. Now, I know this is easy, and I'm getting to the right in a second. But this was never going to end well. First off, you have a guy. Just think of the optics. You got caught up. Imagine you're that 20-year-old. You were 20 in 2008. You got caught up in the hope and change, and yes, we can, and we're moving forward. We're progressing forward with this first black president who can speak, who is articulate, and you agree with all their policies. And then right now, you've gone fast forward to 2022, and you have Joe Biden. Where's the progress? First off, that's the first point. Second point, policy-wise, anyone catch the big lie that Barack Obama admitted to this week? We all knew it. If you followed Obamacare and you followed it closely, you knew it wasn't the end goal. People like me were saying it's a Trojan horse. It's never the end goal. It will only be the next step. It's a progressive step. Obamacare isn't the final step, it's just the next step until the next set of health care comes, whether it's Trump care, whether it's Romney care, whether it's Biden care, whether it's, I don't know who runs in 2024 care, that will be the next step. It will never be the final step. But at his press conference this week, 
He said it was never, ever meant to be the final step. We had to compromise. So you're going to bring him in for that big lie. Then you had the third thing. And this is where I actually feel a smidgen sorry for your president. Because he got thrown under the bus by Barack Hussein Obama. But the reason I can only feel a smidgen sorry for your president is because he deserves it. Because it's his people who said this was a good idea. Why on God's green earth, when you are the person who needs a bump, when you're the person who needs what you call in the business the rub, you need a bit of rub of the flare, would you bring in a narcissist? According to one of the reports I read this week in Barack Obama's speech, he either said the word I, I'm, me, or some other self um, adjective 43 times in the speech. This is about Barack Hussein Obama. This wasn't about Joe Biden. If this jo- The aim of this was, which it should have been if you're in the administration, to get some rub for Joe Biden, you don't bring Barack Hussein Obama in. Because Barack Hussein Obama is only about Barack Hussein Obama. You can love him all day long. Facts are facts. But even if you are a narcissist and you admit you need to give Joe Biden the rub, you at least get pulled aside and kind of go, listen, we need to get Joe to be, you know, look a lot better than he actually is. So don't talk about yourself. If you actually listen to the speech, and I could only listen to a couple of minutes because I'm at a point in your country where I can't listen to any of your presidents speak. Literally. The last president I can actually tolerate is Ronald Reagan. That shows you how much disgust they have for a lot of your presidents. I can't listen to them. I might be able to read what they say and agree with some of what they say, but oh my God, listening to them has become painful. But I listened to some of this speech and he's listing off his career accomplishments. This, by the way, after the in-joke, which is apparently so funny, which everyone loved. The media fawned all over us. It was like a, you know, a throwback from the past where Barack Obama introduces him as the vice president. He calls him vice president, Joe Biden. Joe Biden even did it to himself. Why would you do this? You're looking for the rub. You're the president. You're to, if you're following the narrative, you're the most powerful person in the world. Why would you ever demean yourself like this? But someone, somewhere, sat around and went, this is what America needs. This will solve the poll numbers. And as if this wasn't good enough, as if this wasn't the picture that America needed, the end of the speech is reality. What happened at the end of the speech? Everyone galvanizing and rounding Barack Obama and Joe Biden like a poor, boring, insipid puppet and an 82-year-old puppet at that is left walking around looking for someone to talk to, and no one cares. This is the left in America. Is this inspiring? Is this something that you can rally around? Is this the best America can do from the Democrats? 
oh, and if you're sitting here kind of going <laughs> and having a good old time laughing at this because you're on the right, oh, I'm going to get to the right in a couple of minutes because the right aren't any much better. But does this inspire people? You know, I was having a conversation with someone about politics and they were asking, one of the things I always get asked is, you know, you're an outsider. What does our politics look like to an outsider? And I'm not the rule guy, but we were having a conversation and I said, I'm not the rule guy. I'm not the guy who, you know, says, well, you should only have these criteria. Only these people should run for president. I actually said, because, and this was about, this was inspired by Biden it was inspired by people like Fauci, Pelosi. I think, you know, there should be a rule. There should be an age limit on Congress. Not that you have to be 35 to be president, but that you have to be under 70. That's, let's even go 75 if you want to compromise. But the idea of all these old people telling young people what to do, or people telling people what to do, period, is horrific. Nancy Pelosi. Joe Biden. All these people have no idea of what young people face today. But yet they have such a big impact on their lives. Just think of yourself as a socialist right now. Imagine you're AOC. Are you inspired by any of this? I know that's a horrible thought. Imagine you're AOC. Oh, dear God. I'm sorry I said that. I didn't plan on saying that. But, oh, dear God, just think about it for a minute. Where's the inspiration? Do you remember 2008, 2009? Whether you liked it or hated it, at least you can say it was it was at least a galvanizing narrative. Yes, we can. Hope and change, baby. You know, if I may just paint this picture for you of the left and then I'll get on to the right. Do you remember Obama's acceptance speech when he won the presidency in 2009? It was in front of a Greek Colosseum. Well, if that was the picture of America in 2009 under the Obama administration of the Greek Coliseum of grandeur, of spectacle, well, America under Joe Biden is like a current modern-day Roman Coliseum, beaten, battered, filled with cracks, and the stadium is empty. brings me to the rice here's why i get frustrated with the rice because some people had some not nice things to say to me in private messages this week when i said on last week's show that you know the left has never stabbed me in the back but the right has the rice here's why i get frustrated america deserves better I'm not getting on the partisan train. I'm not a Republican. I make no bones about it. I'm a constitutionalist. I'll work with Republicans. I'll work with... I'd even work with Democrats. I don't care. If we have some common ground and some common policy we can work together on... Spoiler alert, there's not many with the left. There's not many with Democrats. But if there was, I'd be open to it. All I care about is the Constitution, limited government, and leaving people the hell alone. That's it. I work to promote America's narrative to tell your story because I am disgusted with the left when they talk about America being evil, vile and racist and blah, 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 blah. 
It pisses me off. And I'm going to be a counter to it. But the right. You have, right now, a really unpopular president. You have a situation in the House and the Senate where America, poll after poll after poll after poll, by all people on different sides of the aisle, there's some Democrat-leaning polls, some Republican-leaning polls, but they all say the same thing. The number changes. America is going in the wrong direction. And what is the right policy? To do nothing. Don't rock the boat. Just say nothing. All we have to do is show up and we reclaim the House and the Senate. Really? Is that what is getting people excited? Imagine telling someone who's a young Republican. Oh, our policy, just don't say anything and don't rock the boat and just let's just see what happens. What kid is going to be inspired by that? This week was a historic week, if I listen to the media. This week, America finally got some diversity. I read this line. No longer will America have the majority of white men on the Supreme Court. That lady, and I use that word very loosely, has been appointed and confirmed by the Senate in a vote of 53 to 47 to be the next Supreme Court justice after the next session ends and Breyer steps down. Three Republicans voted for her. Three. Of course it had to be three. I was doing research for this and like, it just seems like anytime there's something serious, the number is three in there somewhere. The number I can't say. Yes, I mean the number three as in more than two and less than four, not the thing that grows out of the ground. Three Republicans voted with the Democrats. Why? Well, because we've got to have bipartisan support. This person, and I say person for a reason. This is a person who... During the nomination process, Joe Biden was like, I'm going to nominate a minority woman to the Supreme Court because that's what America needs. And then in her confirmation hearings, can't define what a woman is. Really? Is this the best America can do? It's 2022. And we are still debating over what defines a woman when what defines a woman becomes controversial maybe it's time to change the questions but then the latest controversy i heard from my friends on the right this week was something i want to talk to you about well she doesn't believe in natural rights and this is a reason to vote against her Yes, it is. Among countless other reasons to vote against her. Not least her record of defending people who have done really bad things to people, including children. You don't know what that means? Go Google it and research it. But here's the thing. I saw loads of people this week get all... Frustrated that she didn't know what natural rights was. She didn't believe in them. 
Who does in America today? Who does? Let's start with the easy people. The three people who voted for Ms. Jackson. Lisa Murkowski, Susan Collins, and our favorite senator on this show because he's just so swell and awesome. And he is such a nice guy. If you heard he's a nice guy, really? Senator from Utah, Mitt Romney. And in case you're new to this show, yes, that was heavily doused in sarcasm. Mitt Romney, who, when she was going for a lower court, voted against her. And then when it came to the Supreme Court, yep, thumbs up, baby. Because I'm a nice guy. Really? Is this what galvanizes the right? Is this what makes Americans vote? Yeah, I want more of Mitt Romney and Susan Collins and, and Lisa Murkowski. That's what America needs. Natural rights. What are they? America is exceptional for many reasons, chief among them, that you believe rights don't come from man, don't come from government, don't come from a king, a monarch, or a dictator. They come from your creator. And everyone is born with these rights. And that it's government's job not to give rights or to take rights or to adjust rights or to decide who has rights and who doesn't. Government's sole job is to protect your God-given rights. Who gets excited about this? Who gets excited about voting for this nominee? Really? Who? Even if you want to appear like a nice guy and you're afraid of the, the, the Twitter trolls and you're afraid of what the mainstream media might say about you, vote absent or don't vote. Just go missing that day and make it 50 to 47. But don't vote for us. But here's where I want to just talk to you for a second about Mitt Romney before I talk to you about my next Republican person I want to talk to you about. Mitt Romney has been through the woolshed. One of the things that's so frustrating to me is people who have been through the ringer, who have been through the sawmill that is the mainstream media. When you go through that, it changes you. But sadly for many Republicans, it seems to change you in the sense of you want their appeasement, you want their blessing, you want their approval even more. For those of you that are old, and when I say old, I mean that you were of political awakeness in 2012, all those years ago, 10 whole years ago. Do you remember the attacks against Mitt Romney? Binders full of women. Oh my God, did you hear about Mitt Romney? He put a dog in a cage on a car. Oh my God. Do you remember the attacks? You would think that he would have learned his lesson. That when he became a senator, he'd remember what they said about him when he ran for president and know that he is never, ever going to get their approval. At best, you will only ever be a puppet. But if you ever become popular, they will turn on you in a moment's notice. They do this time and time and time again. They did it to Trump. Do you remember all the times when Trump was running in the primary? He was on the morning, Joe, all the time. 
Then he got the nominee and all of a sudden, oh my God, Donald Trump is the worst person that's ever existed. He is worse than Hitler. They do this. They use you. But yet time and time and time again, what do Republicans do? They sign up gleefully, excited to be that puppet. Before I get to the next Republican, I want to share some good news with you. And I want to share this as a way of action, of inspiring you to be a different person. America's favorite politician right now, by most accounts, is a person called Ronald DeSantis. You look at him. Do you see him caving to the left? Do you see him talking about, let's do nothing in my state? Just don't rock the boat. Do you see him taking on issues in a calm and principled way? You see, Ron DeSantis, and I'm not a I'm not saying I'm a DeSantis fan. I'm not saying, hey, let's go vote for him. I'm just saying, look at his leadership. He's taking on Disney. He's taking on Disney to the point where now our friends on the left have yet again turned themselves into a pretzel. I was reading an article this week about how someone had said that, um, someone said something to one of these columnists on Twitter about how, you know, we need to, Disney needs to step up and take out DeSantis because Disney itself could destroy and change the whole landscape in Florida. It's amazing how my friends on the left turn themselves into pretzels on a daily basis. Because what you just called for was what you accused the Koch brothers of doing every day. You know, the evil Koch brothers (gasps) spending all that money to influence people and voting for people and voting for the right. We need to stop them. We need less corporations in politics. But Ron DeSantis, is he backing down? Is he bending the knee? Or is he saying, not in my state? You see, you have someone who's standing up right now. And even if you don't share the principles of the Santos, even if you hate them, at least admit they work and take his example. But what does America do? What do Republicans do? What do the right do? Now, full disclosure, I don't know much about the person I'm about to talk to you, but someone sent me this clip earlier in the week. And it's a clip of the governor of Maryland, a person called Larry Hogan. Larry Hogan thinks the don't say gay bill in Florida is stupid, it's pointless, it's red meat, and that there's no point in fighting these issues. Let's forget Larry Hogan, and let's start a conversation, America. These issues, poll after poll, are 70-30 in your favor. It's not even close. It's not 55-45. It's not 60-40. It's 70-30. But let me share something with you as the narrative guy. If you can't make a simple cognitive argument that says the following, hey, our policy says the following, This is what the bill says. 
Let's not talk about sex to people who are in kindergarten. Well, we can debate what age you want to start talking about sexual education in school. 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. If it should be discussed at all, they're all different debates. But for people under the age of, let's say, 8, let's not do it. There's no reason for a school to teach anyone under 8 about sex. Whether it's straight sex, whether it's gay sex, whether it's people questioning their, their sexuality, whether it's knowing their pronouns. There's no reason. There is nothing to be gained for it. Now, I would argue it's a lot later, but I tend to be more on the, you know, I don't know, let's not talk about sex side of things. This is 70-30. But yet you have people like Larry Hogan, who's dying to go on all the left-wing chalk shows, all the left-wing media to get his profile up so he can run in 2024. By saying what? This is red meat. This is silly. This is stupid. This thinking all boils down to a question which I have heard in your country for so long from people on the right. Don't engage the culture. Let's just stick to financial policies. Why do we constantly limit ourselves? Look, I'm the guy, I'll talk to you about tax policy all day long. I have no problem with it. I advise people on tax policy. I'm advising one candidate on a certain tax policy that's on your books right now. I'll talk to you about tax policy all day long, no problem. But I'm also not willing to cede the culture wars or issues that are not winnable like abortion. Have you noticed how, for all the people who say to people like me and the media and politicians, anytime we dare say we're pro-life, shh, that's not a popular issue. Have you noticed how state after state, including the state I now call home, Oklahoma, just passed another bill restricting abortions? Have you noticed that? It's time to fight. Because the American people deserve better. The American people deserve better than what has been portrayed in your media and in your politics right now. This needs to change. I said last week, we get the country we deserve, but we deserve better. How do we get it? It's time to stop with the moaning, the complaining, the anger, that I'm pissed off, I'm just going to tell you how it is, and start engaging in the culture. Start engaging on the philosophical side. Start engaging on the spiritual side. Because bad times are coming. I'm going to share a report with you in the next segment and talk to you about the economy. Bad times are coming. What we do now matters. How we act now matters. We need to start planting seeds. We need to start encouraging Republican politicians to get a backbone, to get some steel, to start speaking out, to not be these, well, we just got to go along to get along. Well, we just got to show the American people we can govern. Well, we just got to stay away from the culture wars. They're all quotes from people on the right. No, we need to start engaging. 
We need to start sharing our story. Why? Because here is the truth. Our story, i.e. the idea of America, the narrative of America, to which changed the world is a story that has no equal in human terms. We need to start sharing that story at every opportunity. By the way, in case you hear a bit of extra tone and bass in my voice, and excitement when I say sharing the story of America. The reason for that is next week I'm back out on the road. Back investing my pension, my last financial chip to share the story of America. Why? Because you cannot forget this story, but it's also critical that you remind people. Because here's the unpopular opinion of the day if I haven't annoyed you enough already. Unpopular opinion of the day is many Americans have become complacent and quite simply put, have forgotten why you changed the world and how you changed the world. It didn't happen by happenstance. It didn't happen by a miracle. It didn't just happen because it poof, a miracle happened. No, it happened because people worked first. People sacrificed first. People prayed for it to happen. If we want to make another miracle happen, we need to start working and talking and acting and praying for it to happen. The reason I shared everything in the last two segments was not to make you upset it was to inspire you. Where's the inspiration in what I said? It is so easy today to be different, to stand out. All you need to be, quite simply put, in many ways is average. You can make a positive difference. You don't need to be great anymore. No one's expecting you to be the next George Washington. Why? Because the standard of politicians is so low. All you have to be is adequate and have a spine. Say what you mean and mean what you say. And then do what you say you're going to do. If you are thinking and frustrated about what's going on in your country and you want to get involved and you're thinking about running for office, consider doing yourself a favor and send me a private message. I'll tell you why when you, when you message me. But I want to talk to you about the economy. In my prior life, when I was in Ireland, I spent a lot of time volunteering my time helping the poorest in society. A lot of what I believe, I've believed for 20 years plus. The idea of America, the, the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, the Declaration of Independence, those are great principles to follow. But it's easy just to see principles and read on the paper and kind of go, yeah, I agree with that. All men are created equal. What's wrong with that? And you get inspired by it. And you agree with it. Natural rights. God-given rights. But everything I believe has also been enforced by my lifestyle. By my life. I don't come from money. For most of my life, I have struggled financially. 
And when gas prices go up, even a small amount, 10%, most people don't feel it. Oh, gas is used to be $2.50. It's now $2.75. It sucks. I'll complain about it. But, you know, it doesn't really affect my life. I've always been part of this part of society, the poorest part of society, who that would affect greatly. I see everything that's happening. I see things like ESG scores, which I talked to you about, the Great Reset, Agenda 2030, the Green New Deal. I see all of these things, and it's going to affect everyone. But it's going to affect the poorest in society the most. Because they live paycheck to paycheck at best. Many times it's credit card plus paycheck to paycheck. And they get themselves in such a big hole. That they can't afford an extra few cents on the gallon of gas. They can't afford an extra few dollars on their gas bill. They can't afford to pay an extra few cents for every loaf of bread, for every gallon of milk that they buy. They literally have nothing to spare. And it's an endless cycle. Bad times are coming for many reasons. Government interference, ESG scores, inflation, runaway spending, a debt that's now at $30 trillion. Have you felt the economy hurt yet? I know I have. I don't know if I've shared this story on the air, but where I go to church at my wife in Ban Broken Arrow in Tulsa, there's a restaurant down the street called Shiloh's. When we first started going to Shiloh's after church, last October, you would have about a 45 to one hour wait. Last Sunday, or two Sundays ago, we went, and we sat down straight away, and you could have easily sat more. Restaurants are hurting. How does this affect people? Well, if less people are eating, and less people are leading out, less tips for the servers. If less people are eating out, less servers are needed full stop, less busboys, less chefs. Also, if we're ordering less food, the restaurant doesn't need as much food, so the delivery driver doesn't have as many deliveries. The farmer's not selling as much food. It is a knock-on effect. All those people, if the truck driver's using, he's not needed to deliver as much food, well then obviously there's not as much waste, which means there's not as much gas consumed. This all has a knock-on effect on everyone. Everything in the economy is interconnected. If that server who used to serve maybe 20 tables an hour only is now serving 10, isn't getting as much tips. If she's, he or she is not getting as much tips, then she's not, they're not spending you know, discretionary income. They're not going out for meals. They're not going to the cinema. They're not going to bars. They're not buying extra stuff for their kids. It's a knock-on effect. And it puts people at the poorest in society at risk. Because it's not millionaires and billionaires who are the servers. It's not the chefs who are millionaires and billionaires. It's not the truck drivers that are millionaires and billionaires. But this has been seen in industry. 
after industry, after industry, after industry. There's an index which not many people know about. It's called the Outbound Tender Reject Index. Wow, what's this index, John? This is an index which is done by the haulage companies, the shipping companies. And basically, it's an index of how many tenders every business rejects. And it goes into, I won't bore you with the, the algorithm details, but it goes in and puts out a number. And it monitors it from month to month and week to week. And basically, the simple number is the higher the number of rejects, the better for the economy is doing. Why is that? Let me give you an example. Imagine you're a big, let's use the, the, the language of the left. You're a millionaire and billionaire shipper. There's no such thing, but let's just say you are. You're the, the leader. You're the best in class. Well, what are you going to do? If you've got reputation and you've got, you know, best in standard and you have the name recognition and you have the best staff and you have the best on-time records, people will come to you and go, hey, we have this load and this load and this load and this load to, to get shipped. Will you take them? If you're the best in class, you're only going to take the best loads, the most profitable loads, the easiest loads to make, the ones that are most guaranteed to keep your on-time schedule in, in whack, and you'll reject the rest. Simple, simple, right? Okay, simple business. And what happens is that filters down. So the person who has a less profitable load won't be able to go to the best, might have to go to the second best, and they might reject it, and then might have to go to the third best, and they might reject it. And then eventually, you know, halfway down, depending on the load, the profitability, how often the load is, you know, you might get someone near the middle or near the bottom. Well, the lower the number this record, this index is, means the best in class no longer have sufficient loads to do the best and the most profitable loads, that they need to start lowering their standards. What happens then? Well, people who are shipping loads, which are not the most profitable loads, might have had to go to, let's say, the fifth most popular company in the industry. Now, all of a sudden, are going to the first and the second. Why? Because they're desperate for business. The number on the outbound tender reject index has just flashed down. And it's been going down since late last year. It is now at a level that has not been seen since July 2020. That number, July 2020. What was happening in July 2020? If you remember back, it wasn't as if there was a lot of haulage going on back then, because that was near the start of COVID, when the country was still shut down. A lot of people have started to share their stories. Let me give you some stories briefly. These are only one sentence stories of what people are saying on this index. We were turning down four trucks Four loads for every truck a year ago. Today, we're barely keeping our trucks running. In some markets, things are so bad, we've resorted to signing up for a load board account to keep them moving. Another person said, who has 4,000 trucks. The only market this reminds me of is right after September 11th. Consumer spending has completely dried up, but the industrial economy 
had just come out of a recession, but it was a rough few quarters. There's lots of stories coming out from Hollywood's people. And who does this affect? The company I just told you about, the best in the class, the top of the name, the name standard, the brand in Hollywood will be fine. Why? Because they've got the name recognition. The millionaire and billionaire company will be fine. It's people who do this on as a side load, as a side hustle, who do it on the weekends, who do it as an extra paycheck. It's the people who are at the bottom, who are still trying to find their way, who maybe have just started Hollywood a year ago or two years ago or three years ago. Because you remember after COVID, there was a shortage of drivers. Many people might have just started a business then. They are out of luck. They are going to get destroyed. What are they going to do? The pain and suffering that's going to be inflicted on them is crazy. All the while, what do you have happening in this administration? The Biden tax policy is looking for a corporation tax rate of 28%. Because, quote-unquote, the rich are not paying their fair share. 28%. Why is that significant? That would be the highest tax rate of corporation tax in the world. I don't believe in barometers against other countries, but anytime China has a better taxation policy than you, or just general policy, you're doing it wrong. America's new tax policy, if this gets passed, will be worse than China's. Imagine having a tax policy that's worse than communist China. But that's what this administration is doing. And what are the right doing to combat it? Have you even heard the right talk about this? Have you ever heard a politician talk about this? And sure, some of you might be able to point out one person or two person, but as a party, is the Republicans talking about this? Are they highlighting it? Have they got any narrative to share the American people, to tell the American people why they are different and why you should vote for them come November? Make no mistake about it. Bad times are coming. There's no way to avoid what's coming. All we can do is limit the suffering and make sure we get out of this bad time as quickly as possible. How do you do that? Well, this is where I bring it back down to basic philosophical points on government. Who has the answers to the problems in society? Who should be entrusted to fix society? Do we have a problem in America right now where we are lacking in government and where we need the government to come in and fix things? Or is it option B, that we have too much government in America and around the world where government has caused these problems, either directly or indirectly, And what we need is not more government, it's not new government, it's not government run by other people or different parties. What we need right now is government to get the hell out of the way and let the people find the solutions. If you think that the second option hasn't got the power needed, and that what we need is Donald Trump back in the White House, or we need a Republican House and the Senate and a Republican President, or you need Ron DeSantis in the White House in 2024. Those things would be nice. 
only if they do the right thing. But if you doubt the power one person has, look at what's happening at Twitter this week. What you're starting to see is people wake up, say no, and then where they can change. Now, I know the vast majority of us don't have Elon Musk's money. But there are plenty of people on the right who, well, they don't have his ultimate money because he is the richest person in the world, but are not short of a few pennies. Elon Musk saw what was happening on Twitter, didn't like it, spoke out against it. And instead of just getting on Twitter and giving out about it all the time, what has he done? He now has a 9.2% share of Twitter. He is the biggest shareholder in Twitter. You don't think things are going to change in Twitter very soon? Everyone's so afraid in Twitter, you have all the woke employees going to go, Oh my God, we're under a new dictatorship. I can't stand it. It's amazing. For all the people who are for the little guy. You're not for the little guy. The left are never for the little guy. The left are for themselves and their agenda. And if the little guy happens to benefit, so be it. But if the little guy gets crushed, so be it as well. That is who they are for. They're for control. It's time people on the right, where you have money, do something about it. Set up new businesses. Invest in these businesses. Start changing how these businesses operate. But you're starting to see a galvanization of people. Because Elon Musk is hardly a constitutional conservative. But Elon Musk isn't woke. Elon Musk is what you would probably call a classic liberal in the old-fashioned way. He doesn't believe in all this leftist stuff. And he's starting to change it. We need to start doing the exact same thing, but in our circles. Let's start standing up to the likes of Disney. Let's start stop sending them the money. Let's give money to businesses that actually like us. You're starting to see these stories. Now, are we going to support them? Or are we just going to stay on Twitter and Facebook and complain about all these companies hating us? What we do right now will define who we are and what country we live in in a year Two years, three years, four years, ten years away from them. I want to finish up today's show by sharing a couple of stories from over in Europe. But I also want to start sharing some stories about how We can win the culture war, the narrative war, the woke war, whatever other war you want to talk about, if we just combat the the, the narrative with facts. You know, one of the things that's frustrating to me in 2022 is we have no appreciation for basic language. So there was a, a comment made. Do you remember the whole Chris Rock thing that I don't want to talk about? But people were actually saying, words are violence. No, 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 they're not. I know I sound like an old fuddy-duddy, but I remember growing up back in my day, we had a saying. It went as follows. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. 
We literally live in a world where people think words are violence. No, they're not. And I can say that because if you know me and my life and what I look like, any comedian worth their weight in gold should be able to do a three-hour special on me on improv. There is so much to laugh about about my life. How I look, what I am, what I believe in. And I may like it, I may dislike it. Chances are I'll probably laugh because I laugh at myself quite a lot. But even the parts I don't like, they are not violence. The second thing we believe in with words. I was having a debate with someone on Twitter earlier this week about immigration. I'm sorry, immigration is always going to be a source of topic to me. Some of my libertarian friends, well, we should have open borders. Anyone should come, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, really? That's, that's the, if that's your answer, then make it legal for everyone to come. Don't just say ignore the rules and just come in anyway. Really frustrates me as someone who's going through the process. By the way, I can't work right now. And this economy is not cheap. My pension is dwindling by the day because living in your country isn't cheap. And there's nothing I can do about it. Yeah, I look at all these people come across the border and Title 42. Just come on over. Get a phone. We're giving you a smartphone now so we can find where you are because that's what the Republicans are worried about. All these benefits. Get a job. Temporary job. Go for it. Yet I have to wait in line. But one of the people said to me that government by its mere existence is an act of aggression. Really? So something just existing is now aggressive. It is an act of aggression. No, it's not. It maybe does things that are aggressive and then those actions we can say are acts of aggression or we can debate whether they are or not. But no, by your mere existence, you are not an act of aggression. This crap needs to stop. And it needs to be combated on all sides because it's not just a left problem. But just to highlight the problems are not just in America. Because I think sometimes think Americans listen to American news and it's very understandable America is so big and so diverse that you just think it's American that you're the only country in the world. Other countries are dealing with it as well. But you're dealing with it better. I want to share two stories with you to prove the point. First one. Everyone knows about the situation in Ukraine, right? The war. And what's happening is all these Ukrainians, whether you like the war, hate the war, love Putin, hate Putin, hopefully you're not listening to this show if you like Putin, because I'm very clear on that, but maybe you are. Whether you agree with this war, whether you disagree with this war, is irrelevant. The facts of this war that we can all agree on is there are a lot of Ukrainians been displaced because of this war. And they're fleeing their country. And they're going to other countries, they're going to European countries, they're going to England, they're going to Ireland. And one of the things they've asked in many countries to do is, hey, if you have a holiday home or a second property or a really big house and you can house a family, please let us know and we could, we'll put you in touch with people. Well, there's a guy called Mike Rundell in the UK. Never heard of him. Apparently, he's a famed architect. And if I may use the language of our friends on the left, he's a millionaire and a billionaire. And he has this wonderful place. And I'm looking at the pictures right now. It's like a mansion, right? It's a grade two listed building, whatever that means in the United Kingdom. 
it probably means it's like superior and it's i think usually when you've got a grade you can't like change anything to the structure unless the government says you can it's one of those types of things but it has some of the following features a wraparound shower a grand entrance hallway with a solid nickel handrail some of the pictures like the bathroom is amazing it's it's it looks like think of like a five-star hotel that you think like you know like the rolling stones would stay up this is like got gold plated everything it's a it's got gold plated handles it's marble finish it's just a beautiful beautiful place and he said i've got this home i feel sorry for the people of ukraine hey come there i'll host this family and it's a mother and three children the children are 13, 11, and 10. What has happened in the United Kingdom? The government have basically said, uh, yeah, um, your house is not good enough for to house Ukrainians. And it basically, he went to ask why. And basically, the bottom line is, he was told he needed lockable windows, closable doors, and extra fire alarms on every floor, and a gas safe certificate. Now, in case you're thinking these are reasonable things to ask for, he says when he stays there, there's no requirements to stay in the house. Now, he's a millionaire and a billionaire. I hardly think he's putting his wife and his kids at risk. But he's lived there on and off for 15 years without requiring these things. This is the situation of bureaucrats. You see, it's not okay to, you know, live in a hellhole like Ukraine right now and to try and escape. If you try and escape and you try and get in our country, bureaucrats want to make it as hard as possible. Why? Because you must be up to code. You must do things our way, comrade. You will comply. And also, because I know how socialism works, they will also think this is a great way of encouraging people to upgrade their property to the way they see fit. To create jobs. Can you imagine it? Look at these pictures. This article's on the Daily Mail. These pictures are amazing. I would pay to stay at this house if I had money. Like I have to bring Tanya on a honeymoon. I would bring her if I could to this house. It is stunning. Oh and by the way it's got a, it's on a large property. The grounds look stunning as well. But it's not good enough for a family from Ukraine. Second story. And this is more uh, just to prove a point of what I always tell you about Ireland and, and around the world. One of the things I always get about Ireland, you know, when I speak out against it, is like, well, is socialism really that bad? You know, surely, John, I get you're frustrated with it, but, you know, surely there are rich Irish people. Surely, you know, there are rich Irish millionaires and billionaires and, you know, that they can be successful. And I'm always honest. I always say, yeah, there are. But I always explain the first economic lesson I learned. It's not what you know, it's who you know. But even then, it's extremely hard to be really, really rich. But if you do become really, really rich in, in Ireland, there's generally something you have in common. One, you've got political contacts, or the right types of contacts and access. Or two, you leave the country as soon as you possibly can and be successful. I want to read an article to you because we're at that point in time in the year where we publish all these articles and all these reports explaining how, you know, all these millionaires are growing around the world. 
about how there's so much richness in the world and we have an income inequality and what we need is for the rich to pay more. And we love backing up all these facts. Well, I just want to give you something just to compare Ireland to America. Nine Irish billionaires are estimated to be worth a collective of £54 billion. They're the top nine. Put that into context of what the richest people in the world earn. Is 54 billion for nine billionaires that much to be sniffed at? That's an average of 6.1 billion each or just under it. Prove my point. How many people are worth 6 billion in America alone? I'm not saying it's a lot. of. I'm not saying it's hundreds of thousands of people, but it's more than nine. But second of all, I want to prove the point to you. The top three billionaires, what do they all have in common? Well, they're not based in Ireland for a start. The first one, who's worth uh, uh, the t- biggest amount of 15 billion, is a guy whose name I'm going to butcher horribly because it's a real Irish name. Palongi Ministry. That's not an Irish name. He controls, or she controls, I don't know which it is, the Mumbai headquartered engineering and construction company. So the richest Irish person isn't Irish and controls a construction company based in Mumbai, which isn't in Ireland. It's in India. The second richest people are brothers. The Collison brothers, Patrick and John, are worth $9.5 billion each. Who are they? They are the creators of a great company, because most people now use it. They have done really well for themselves. A company called Stripe. If you buy anything on the internet, the chances are you use Stripe as the app underneath. You might not see it as the consumer, but the company uses it to get money from one part to another part. Why is this important? Where is their head office? Is it in Ireland? Nope. It's in San Francisco. What country is that? Oh, yeah, that's America. The third person is a person called John Graken. And he is the owner and founder of a private equity firm called Lone Star Funds. Is that based in Ireland? Hmm, no. Lone Star Funds is based where you'd expect it to be based, Dallas, Texas. Why am I sharing this with you? If we are to solve the world's problems, or even America's problems, just purely from an economic point of view, what do we need? We need wealth creation. We need innovation. We need creativity. We need the idea of America. That's what we need. We need a wealth explosion. How do you get that? It's time for Americans to truly know the idea of America. I hate to sound like a broken record, but it's true. There's a reason your country helped inspire a 5,000-year leap. We don't need America to follow the path of Ireland or England or Europe. We need America to follow the path of Americans. Because if you look around at innovation and creativity or any major advancement in society... It always boils down to some person having an idea. The reason this is so important to me 
is because I'm reading plans right now where there are literally people in power through the Great Reset who are going to basically take a manual of how we have produced food for the last 200 years and basically shred it, burn it, and bin it. And they're going to redo everything in the next eight years. And they are laying the groundwork for that as we speak. Because everything they want done, government must control 100%. But also it must be done in what they term an environmentally friendly way. We are taking everything that we have, all the abundance, and risking it on maybe there been climate change. They don't see climate change as a danger. They see climate change as an opportunity. An opportunity to mold the world the way they see fit. If America wants to survive this, and I believe we will survive it, but if America wants the world to be better, and wants America to be better, and wants to give opportunity to kids and grandkids, do you know what we need to do? We need to get government out of the way. And we need to start sharing a narrative of why we have the answers. And why people like Elon Musk, why people like you and me, why people like the innovators, the creators, have an opportunity. And that if government isn't in the way, they can bring their product or service to market and let the people decide. And what we need, if we get less government, is more rags to riches stories. It's not just about the rich getting richer. I don't mind the rich getting richer. I have no problem with someone like Elon Musk, who's the richest person in the world, doubling his wealth in the next year. I really don't care. I'm not going to get jealous. Heck, he could go, he could 10x his wealth in the next 12 months. I'm not going to go, well, let's burn Elon Musk. No, I don't care what you're worth. All I care is that everyone has an opportunity. And it's not provided by government. All government does is ensure everyone has an opportunity. That if I have a product and service that competes, let's say I come up with a better version of the Tesla. Now, needless to say, I can't call it the Tesla because that's Elon Musk's. But let's say I have the, the Alpha and the Omega car. And it's better than Elon Musk's car. And it's more efficient than Elon Musk's car. And I can produce it cheaper than Elon Musk's car. That he doesn't have a lever at his disposal to take me out. That's cronyism. We need to start getting government out of the way. Because here's the truth. The left. The left are not winning. It's all a mirage. The left have never been more exposed and more weakened than they are right now. Right now, we have an opportunity to put their agenda back 10, 20 years by sharing our narrative, our story. All this wokeness, vast majority of people reject, despite what you feel like when you go on social media where you have all these big, loud voices. We have an opportunity to put it back, but are we doing it? Nope. Why? Because we're too bitter, we're too angry, we're too afraid, we're too hurt. 
We've believed a lie that's been around for so long that is getting to really, really piss me off. That there's nothing you can do. Look around. There's plenty you can do. The tide is starting to turn. Even if it's just encouraging politicians or supporting a local politician in a primary to stand up and race against a Republican, a rhino Republican. The time to fight for your country is now. Because heaven knows, if I may quote Thomas Paine, how to put a bounty upon its goods. Freedom doesn't come easy. Freedom always comes at a cost. But if you're looking to advance freedom and you've been in this business for a year, five years, 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, let me say this to you. There has never been a bigger opportunity to strike a blow against government, against control, against tyranny and for freedom than right here, right now. Because everyone knows the world doesn't make sense, but everyone is looking for it to make sense. This is where we need to step up and not paint when black and white. Let us not paint just in black and white, but let us have the audacity to paint in bold pastels the idea of America, the idea of individual liberty, the idea of God-given rights, the idea of natural rights, the idea of government getting out of the way and remembering, as I say at the end of every show, America is great because Americans are good. This is our opportunity to shine. This is our opportunity to stand up and be counted upon. Are we going to do it? Or are we just going to succumb and say, you know what? It was too hard. I was too angry back then. I believe in you, America. But you must act. The time to act is now. Because if you act, you will be remembered fondly in history. You will be remembered as the next greatest generation. And I will stand proudly with you, linking arm in arm, standing in the wayside, standing up and saying, no, not on our watch. Until next Saturday at 12 noon Eastern, you have yourself a beautiful and blessed week. Stream and subscribe to more Blaze Media content at theblaze.com slash podcasts.